welcome back to The Coop with Meyer Hatchery, where we talk all things poultry in hopes of educating crazy chicken keepers and inspiring future flock owners. I'm your host, Kendra, and today we're sharing some of the common questions we answered from our trip to the Homesteaders of America conference in Virginia. You may have noticed a brief pause in our podcast production as I traveled over 350 miles to Front Royal, Virginia to attend the 2021 Homesteaders of America conference. Over 5,000 people attended this two-day event, full of amazing speakers, vendors, and surrounded with a family-like homesteading community. Meyer Hatchery attended not only as a vendor, but also as an official Golden Coop sponsor, chatting with thousands of great chicken people as we answered all your burning questions questions. In today's episode, we compiled the top questions we received, providing answers for our entire community to learn from. For this episode, I'm joined by Amanda, a customer service team lead who also attended the conference. You may also recognize her voice from previous podcast episodes covering everything from 4-H prep to chicken tractors. Welcome back, Amanda. Thanks for having me back. I attended the event in Tennessee. This was our first Homesteaders of America conference together, and it was a big one. It was so much fun. Like, so much fun. The amount of people, the speakers that were there, it was an amazing lineup. It was just all around a good two-day event, and the weather held up. Oh, yeah. We had our fingers and our toes crossed watching the weather leading up, but thankfully there was a break in the clouds and we only got minimal drizzle and it allowed for a great weekend. Just enough to wake you up. (laughs) Right. (laughs) No sleeping on the job. Now let's dive into some of the top questions from the event. So one question that I probably answered a thousand times was, where are you located? Yeah. And I think a lot of people were surprised how close we were to them. I think a lot of people get nervous about ordering poultry through the mail, but knowing that we're just a state or two or three away kind of ease some of those first time mail order poultry jitters and kind of give them the confidence to give it a try. Exactly. So our hatchery is located in Polk, Ohio, and we ship over 160 different breeds, including all sorts of poultry types, chickens, turkeys, ducks, geese, guineas, you name it. We probably have it, including exotics, which I think surprised a lot of people when I mentioned, you know, pheasants or peacocks, things like that. So definitely check when you're searching for hatcheries or searching for new birds to your property to see where they're located because it does impact the shipment to a degree. And now that was another question was, how do you ship and what does the arrival time look like? Right. And a lot of times we get the question, can't you use any other carrier? I know we hear the stories of USPS, especially leading into the holidays, that there are going to be some delays. But the fact of the matter is we ship lives and live shipments get priority always, which allows us to ship all these babies safely. It allows us to stay in business. So we do ship USPS priority or express and all of our little ones arrive in one to three days. And that I think also surprises a lot of people. I know there was a couple of people that we had to kind of educate a little bit on that one to three day span. When a chick hatches, it absorbs the yolk as the last part of the hatching process. And that's what really sustains them for that one to three day shipping period. It's really the same if you're hatching chicks, right? You can leave them in your incubator for up to 72 hours before you transfer them to a brooder. So rest assured that they are safe during that transport time, not having any food or anything inside the box until they arrive to you and get placed into a brooder. A lot of times we get questions if if we order like or if we offer one week old chicks 
And it's just not safe to ship them when they're a week old because there's nothing in there to keep their bellies full to safely ship them to their destination. Exactly. Now, it was interesting at this event because in the Tennessee event, it was more of like how to be a homesteader. So there were a lot of first time homesteaders at the event or they were looking to purchase property and start a homestead of their own. At this conference, we talked to all different people in different stages of homesteading. Some were just beginning, some were seasoned pros looking to learn a few new tips and tricks. Some had a homestead, but were moving to larger pieces of property in other states. So they had kind of downsized and now we're looking on new ways to set up their new homestead to be more efficient. So we talked to a lot of diverse people. I think that's one of the most fun parts about attending these conferences. In one area that I talked to a lot of people about, and I think Amanda can say the same, are broilers or meat chickens in general. There are a lot of people that have previously ordered from us, some that were just testing the waters and were curious about our minimums because they weren't quite sure that they wanted to process, say, 50 broilers their first time around. And two, we had a ton of books on site. We sold through a majority of them. And some of the first to go were both of our butchering books that we brought. Say that three times fast. Um, The Adam Danforth Butchering Chickens and then his just butchering book that has all sorts of different animals in it, including like sheep. And I know it has chickens in there as well and rabbits and things like that. I think a lot of people were wondering like their options as far as meat birds. It's not just Cornish Cross. We also offer Rainbow Rangers and many dual purpose breeds. So it was fun to talk about how talk to others on how they were trying to set up their homestead. Some were looking for the quickest cheapest route to go, which would be your Cornish cross. And others wanted more of like a free range option because they had lots of property and the setup for it. So that would be better for a a freedom ranger uh, or a rainbow ranger. And then others liked the idea of a dual purpose breed. So it was fun to talk about everybody's needs and figuring out what we offer that could help them stay sustainable with their goals. And I think it's funny because if you've been listening to the podcast for any length of time, you know that I'm a huge proponent of the Rainbow Rangers because I free range my flock. And I don't know how many people were like talking to me about broilers and I'd say, oh, but what about Rainbow Rangers? And they're like, no. I was shut down so many times because a lot of these people had smaller properties. And so they really needed a chicken that was efficient in a small space that could be, you know, run under chicken tractors, things like that. So when I mentioned free range, they're like, we live in, you know, town, we can't free range and things like that. And so it was kind of eye opening to me because of course, you know, I try not to push my point of view on certain breeds, but you know, my excitement for free range broilers just gets the best of me. So it was kind of a, a breath of fresh air to be put in place for lack of better terms of there are various breeds for certain environments and ways to raise them. So a reminder of that for not only myself, but to reiterate that to you, our listeners, that it takes some research and some conversation up front to really find what's going to be best for you. But you know, that's what I like about our team. Like we all have our individual hands-on experience with different breeds in different farm or homestead setting. So where you're all about the free range, I started small in the city. So Cornish Cross was my go-to. So 
I preach a lot about Cornish Press because that's my hands-on experience. So I'm, that's what sets us apart. You know, everybody, all of our customer service agents have poultry experience and we kind of come together as a team so that we can educate and be there for all of our customers' poultry needs. Very, very true. Now, Amanda stole the show a little bit with her chicken tractor plans. We had a nice display sign out with a QR code. What's great about a lot of our plans, including the chicken tractor, is it's an instant download. So if you go on our website, make the purchase, you get the PDFs delivered straight to your inbox. So you could start building tonight if you're feeling ambitious. And the display photo was actually the chicken tractor that Amanda built from those plans. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's the same one you're going to see on our website. So Amanda got a lot of questions about that chicken tractor specifically. Yeah, I can't take credit for the actual plans. They are not mine, but I could take credit for the photo because my husband and I did take that on. We built it as a a honeydew project together. And it was a great tractor to build because we started large and heavy. Um, And this was the exact opposite. I was, you know, I shared with others, my five-year-old can move it. He might struggle a little bit, but he can move it across the field with no problem. And it serves its purpose, growing out meat birds, serving as an infirmary pen. If you have an injured bird or maybe a bird showing symptoms of illness or maybe a transition pen before you add new birds to your current flock. It's an all-around great tractor, an easy build. And I'll totally take credit for the photo because yes. I did build that one. (laughs) (laughs) And now one of the best parts too, about having that on display there was it really started a conversation about chicken tractors in general. So there was a lot of people that came up and were pointing to different aspects. Like, you know, Amanda had a bucket on top because the poultry watering cups attached to PVC pipe and that's how they got fed. She had a tarp on there for weather elements. So it really just started a, a greater conversation around raising chickens in that environment. What I found interesting was there was actually people that came up and talked about pros and cons to their setup and two to other setups from different plan providers like Joel Salatin was there. I know he's a big name, has a lot of great information as far as permaculture goes. And they were talking about some of the pros and cons they saw even with his build versus you know the tractor they were seeing on display for us. And there was even a chicken tractor they were raffling at the event, which was absolutely gorgeous. That conversation was so intriguing to me. And I think having that again, just like what type of bird you raise, it helps with your setup in general. It's not a one size fit all. You could build this plan and decide to do some different watering system or a different feeder system that makes sense to you. Or you could decide to do someone else's plans and alter that. So there's just a lot that goes into homesteading. And I think that was, again, one of my favorite parts of the conference. And I know our goal was to be the face of Meyer and to educate others about what we offer. But really, it was an education for us as well, because I just loved hearing everybody's perspective and the things that they've done to spruce up their, their broiler or ranger operations, their tractor system. So I was able to take a few bits of information home to apply to my own homesteading. So it's just a, a wealth of knowledge all around. And the term I hear a lot of people that attended the conference using is like-minded people. 
And I think that was one of the best parts is we could truly have a conversation about what works and what doesn't work. And it wasn't so much about, you know, well, Meyer Hatchery sells this plan. It's the way it has to go. It really was about, you know, what are you doing? And the focus was more on improving homesteads and making things more efficient and improving your livelihood. And I think that was a really valuable piece that I took home as well. Yeah. You can't put homestead into a box. It's different for everybody, every property, no one size fits all. We say it all the time. Mm -hmm. Now with that range of diversity from people just beginning to season pros, one area that we got to talk a lot about that we don't really through our customer service here quite as often are the larger scale watering operations and what kind of options are available to them. Work smarter, not harder. That was the theme. And that's the theme for my own homestead. And I preach it to others because once your homestead becomes more efficient and less work, your animals are taken care of even better and more efficiently. So I'm all about the larger waterer, the tripod waterer that we brought and we sell on the website. It's my number one go-to. I use it for my heritage turkeys. I've had it going on five years. It's held up outside in the weather and people like that. Um, homesteading is not always cheap. And sometimes you invest a little bit more on supplies from the get-go so that they'll last you longer. Because like one of our customers at the homestead event said, you know, I can buy a $25 waterer every year, or I can buy a $40 waterer that will last me six. So at the end of the day, sometimes spending a little bit more is worth it because you're going to save in the long run. And I'll be sure to link that tripod water below because it was super popular. We did sell out of it. And if you were in attendance at the event and listening, I want to make sure you have access to that link. And I think one of the best parts, again, about each of Meyer Hatchery's employees owning their own flock is we can truly speak to not only the birds, the poultry side of thing, but a lot of the supplies. And I think it was Amanda's experience with that water. That really enlightened and intrigued a lot of people. Can you speak to that? I know I almost wish sometimes podcasts were visual so we could show a picture right now of what it looks like, but be sure to click the link below so you get a better understanding. Can you describe how you use that water for your turkeys on your homestead? Right. So I run my turkeys mostly in a tractor system. And um, what I like about it is it sits off the ground. It's a tripod, um, it's a top fill. So it holds eight gallons so that I know that my turkeys are well hydrated at all times, especially during the warmer months, but it has a nice handle on it. So, I mean, eight gallons of water is heavy. So the fact that it has a really handy handle on it makes it easy to carry and move with the tractor as we're moving it weekly or halfway through the week, depending on the season. Um, But just it's overall size and the handle system, it just, it works perfectly for our setup. And I know others that use it, it works great for them as well. Yeah. I really like that it is on a tripod base. So it is elevated to a degree. So that helps with anything getting in the water, debris of any sort. I talked to a couple of people who are specifically looking for duck waters, which can be hard because they need to dip their bill and nostrils in the water completely to flush those out as part of their health routine naturally. So they have a 
hard time finding different waters that's not just a big open pan. And a lot of times those big open pans are enticing to ducks to want to also put their body in them, regardless right. of how small or big they are. So I talked to a few people too about that tripod water because the legs kind of guard it. So there's no way your duck's going to get in the water, but it is deep enough and large enough they can fit their bills in it. So I think that's a great alternative too if you're doing pastured ducks or you have you know free range and you're looking to offer a system that you only have to fill once a week, for instance. So well, and let's face it, not everybody has water in their fields. So we're a lot of us are lugging buckets um, or lugging hoses across our acreage just to keep everybody watered. So having a larger watering system cuts down on the backbreaking bucket lugging. <laughs> Hmm. I do recall one gentleman being excited about the capacity of that water because he would only have to unroll his hose once a week versus every day to fill the water. So, right. Mm-hmm. Very true. Now, speaking of waters, of course, for those of us in the northern climate, we talked a lot about winter solutions when it comes to waters, especially for those that are raising pastured poultry. Yeah, it gets tough, especially if you're doing pastured poultry and you don't have electricity. So um, one of the things we recommended the most was like the rubber utility bowls. Uh, Because they're flexible, you fill them with water. Once they freeze, it won't crack your bucket. I think just the material itself keeps the water from freezing a little bit more. And then the flexibility of it keeps it from breaking and you having to replace it. Um, We also talked about, you know, putting things that will keep the water moving like golf balls or uh, water bottles that would also help. But those that don't live in the freezing temps really, really hung on to those, the, the nipple systems and the watering cups. The other thing that we recommended a lot for those um, that did have electricity was the water de-icers. If you live in temperatures that get in single digits or below, the heated water bases won't, won't keep up with those temperatures. So if you put the de-icer in a bucket or in a bowl, that can easily keep your water from freezing. And I personally use them on my farm and they work great. And I like that they last. Again, another product that may cost a little bit more, but I'm spending less in the long run because I'm getting four, five, six years out of it. And it was interesting being in Virginia. We talked to a lot of people too that were from like North Carolina, South Carolina. They talked about how temperatures do dip and get colder, but not necessarily the temperatures we're seeing in Northeast Ohio or even where I'm at in Michigan. And so we talked about what that looks like and what kind of waters they would have to install. If you're running a smaller flock inside of a coop, you can move the water inside. The coop offers some insulation, so it will help with that. One of the concerns of watering inside your coop, though, is the additional moisture you're bringing in. Now, I know you think it's enclosed in a water, like Kendra, I'm not pouring water in my coop, but that water will evaporate to some degree. The birds will splash it around. It does get in the coop. And that can increase the risk of frostbite. So you may want to pay attention to that depending on your climate and where you're at. That's one thing to consider. I will second the water tubs, the water pans, the rubber ones. That's what I personally use. And I really like using them outside because here we get 
feet of snow in some cases. I'm right along Lake Michigan. So we get a lot of that lake effect weather. When that happens, I try to get my flock outside as much as possible in the winter, despite what they want, because that movement helps with circulation, keeping them active. So I still try to feed and water outside when I can. Of course, if it's a snowstorm, it gets moved inside, but I do try to keep them active. So that's a good tip too. Even if you live out West, like I know we talked to some people in like Montana and Wisconsin, if you're experiencing that larger snowfall and greater winter, um, that is something to think about just as overall flock care. It's not necessarily the cold that creates frostbite. It's the addition of the water and cold that creates the frostbite. And I think a lot of people think that they need to have water available 24 seven. It's okay to not have water in your coop overnight. It's kind of like when your kids are ready for bed and they're stalling and they need a glass of water or two or three, we're not sending our kids to bed with a jug of water. They'll be fine. And so we're your chickens. So providing that water outside during the day is more than plenty. Exactly. Great tip. And then I'll be sure to link that de-icer below. I know we had a ton of interest in that. And the poultry watering cups were really intriguing to people because they are kind of a DIY. And that was one thing that I did talk to somebody about was, you know, if you can't find a water that fits your setup, DIY waters may be what fits your homestead best. Like we said, it's not a one size fits all. If you're finding something that's not working or something that may need to be tweaked to make it work more efficiently for you, by all means do it. And our YouTube channel offers a lot of great video and content on some DIY waters and feeders, things like that. So I'll, again, be sure to link all of that below so you can explore some of those resources. And let's face it, chickens are messy. And I think we all as homesteaders want a way to keep the water as clean so that we don't have to wash them out several times a day or once a day. So those poultry nipples and poultry watering cups really eliminate the need to have to clean them out. There's no way for them to perch on them or sit on them or lay on them. They're off the ground and they stay much, much cleaner. Now, speaking of those too, that was one thing that we covered with a lot of people. If you have a pre-existing flock that's already mature, it can be hard to train them on nipple waters. I typically advise the poultry cups first because there is a water reservoir so they can kind of get trained that they have to hit that little yellow inside to make water fill that cup. That can be a good way to start. If you're raising poultry from the very beginning, day one, of course, when they're in the brood, you need a small water in there. But when they're hitting that teenage stage, they're a lot easier to train on the nipple waters um, than a mature flock. So keep that in mind if you're trying to adjust. And what I found too is if I integrate a new flock that knows how to use the nipple water, the older flock will begin to adapt because let's face it, when they're thirsty, they're going to find water. So if they see the younger chicks going to that water, then of course they're going to follow suit. I mean, chickens are so easily trained on food in that same manner. So think along those lines if you're looking to change it up a little bit. Now, last but not least, I don't know if you know this, Amanda, but I'm a bit of a celebrity these days. And I know they wanted your autograph, (laughs) autograph, photos, you name it. It got requested. Just kidding. There's only a handful of people that I talked to that did listen to the podcast. And I was super excited to meet them firsthand and talk to them. I do like chatting with people on the regular um, to make sure we're offering the best advice possible on the podcast. So if you stopped and talked to me, please know I really did appreciate it. It was a highlight for me. One of the greatest highlights was a photo request from Miss Addie. Her and her father 
came up. We chatted about the podcast. It was super cute. I appreciated their time and chatting with them. They, of course, have raised chickens. Um, Her father let me know that raising chickens was super beneficial for Addie. She's grown a lot responsibility-wise and has really grown to love them as pets, of course. And so one question they asked me, which I thought was really interesting, I don't honestly think I've ever been asked this question, was what are some other exciting things they can do with their flock other than adding more chickens? So it sounded like they were probably in a suburban type area where they were limited to the number of chickens they could have. So yeah, well, they could add maybe one or two more. They were looking for other ways to keep it interesting with their flock. It took me a minute to think of a good answer, but what I suggested was boredom busters. So Addie really liked being hands-on with the flock and spending time out there with them. And so not only entertainment for the flock, but for you as a family too, Our YouTube channel has a lot of great resources for making different treats and boredom busters and things like that, that you can give to your coop or you can give in your run and you can keep your chickens entertained. And it's entertaining to you to watch them. Well, and why not use it as an education experience? I mean, if you're in a city, uh, most often not everybody has poultry. So I'm sure Addie's classmates would love to hear about her chickens and her chicken experience, or maybe some neighborhood kids. I know having kids that are involved in 4-H, my my daughters just love telling their friends all about their animals and how they take care of them and how they get up so much earlier than their friends because they have responsibilities. But I think it's good that it's not just adults educating on where our food comes from, whether it be meat or eggs or vegetables, like kids can do it too. Kids are powerful and we need to empower them. And I really think that's what this family was doing in particular. You know, they listen to the podcast. She takes my advice and then she goes back to her dad and says, Hey, we should do this, or we should try this, or I want this breed because of this. And so that was just, I mean, I can't even tell you how much fun that was to hear because that's exactly why we do this podcast and why I'm here. Despite liking the sound of my own voice, it really is to educate and empower chicken keepers of all levels. One other suggestion I had was the hatching. It is super fun as a kid to incubate those eggs. The anticipation of that first peck is I mean, there's not even words. That's where I learned that they were in an area with a limited amount of chickens they could have. So one suggestion, if you did want to hatch, a lot of times if you contact a local farmer or a local homestead, they'll take your chickens after you hatch them. So you don't have to necessarily add them directly to your coop, or you could only add one or two and then gift the others to a farmer to go to a good home. So that's one option just to keep in mind if it does suit you. It wasn't suitable in this case. um, And that's why I suggested the boredom busters, but those are really two good activities. Um, I think are family friendly. And then the only other thing that honestly just came to mind was on our blog, we have an area called free range freebies. And in there, there's a bunch of different checklists and kid activities, word searches, things like that. That might be fun to download too. And you know, use as a family, even like a coop organization checklist or an egg tracker would be very fun for her to be able to name the chickens individually on that and track how many eggs she's getting a week, what colors, things like that. You know, again, educational resources that also inspire responsibility. Addie's going places. Keep up the good work. Yes, yes, yes. All right. That really concludes our top questions. Like I said, we got to speak to thousands of individuals regarding their homesteads and their poultry types. 
It was one heck of an event. We cannot wait to see you guys all next year. So if you have any further questions, don't hesitate to follow us on our individual page, The Coop on Facebook, and be sure to drop any additional questions you have. Amanda and I and the entire Meyer Hatchery team are here to answer them. And if you'd like something autographed by Kendra, send her a request. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and with that, we thank you for listening to The Coop. Be sure to subscribe. And if you'd be so kind, drop us a review. See you all next week. <laughs>